morning, guys. A um, couple announcements real quick. Um, first of all, if you still want to be a part of the, um, the care packages for the missionaries or sending Christmas baskets to Belize, um, and you're not on the email for the church, talk to Jen and she'll give you the instructions. Um, a couple people asked how to give. They just would rather give money than go shopping. Um, just, just write a check or use the kiosk, however you normally would, and just note that it's for, um, it's for the Christmas baskets for Belize or, or for the missionary gifts or whatever. And um, second, remember, next Sunday after church, uh, Scotty's food truck will be here. And uh, we're going to have a little meal together. And he, I was talking to him last night, and he wants to give the church 20% off, which is awesome. I like discounts. Um, so, right, for those of us that have a lot of kids in our family, that's a free meal for every, uh, <laughs> works good. Um, so it's going to be after second service. I encourage you guys to come. We'll set the tables up, and we'll... Space the chairs out, don't stress, and it'll, uh, it'll be a good time. Let's pray before we get into the Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we, um, we come before you, Lord, and we just ask that you would be with us this morning. As we open your Word, we pray that you would minister to our spirits, that you would speak to us. And we pray that um, if the issues that we're going to address this morning are something that we need to deal with, that you would just... Help us to be honest and help us just to uh, address the issues in our lives. Pray that in your name. Amen. This morning, probably around 6 o'clock, I um, I gotten up and I was getting ready to come over to the office. And little Hannah was in her crib. And she just started bawling and crying. And... Um, so Denise went to make her a bottle, and she was just like in one of those like hysterical things where she's got big old tears rolling down her eyes, and she's just <gasps> crying. So I went, and I grabbed her up out of the crib, you know, and I laid down in the bed, and, and I was holding her, and, um, and she was very worked up, very stressed out, and she's kind of thrashing around. I'm trying to hold her, and she's like arching her back, you know, and <clears throat> at one point, she just finally went, and let out a big gasp, kind of, and just just dropped down and, and dropped her head onto my chest and just, like, calmed down a little bit. And, and, and I was kind of thinking about that. And the Lord kind of spoke to my heart, you know, that a lot of people right now, we're so worked up and we're so stressed out and, and we're upset with the events that are taking place around us and and there's so much confusion and, 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 and consternation and, and you know, we... And a lot of us are just, and I think that we just need to release that a little bit and let go and, and just press into the Father and relax a little bit. Just embrace the Father and lay your worries and cares on Him and, and let Him handle it. You know, and that's for free. It has nothing to do with the text this morning. Just thought I'd share that. We're continuing in Acts chapter 10 this morning. And remember, in Acts chapter 9, you know, 8 and 9, Saul was really on the scene. And um, last week, we begin to see the text shift from Saul back to Peter. And we began to see 
Peter's interactions with the Gentile community. And remember last week we found Peter there in Joppa at the home of Simon the Tanner. And Peter, he has this vision, you'll remember. And during this vision, he sees this sheet lowered down from heaven. And on this sheet, it was filled with all sorts of unclean animals. And remember, the Lord says to Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, never, Lord. You know, I, I, I've never eaten any unclean thing. I'm not going to start today. And three times this happens. And the Lord tells Peter, do not call unclean what I have declared holy. And this morning, as we continue on, I'm not going to go verse by verse as we usually do. Next time, we'll, we'll pick up the text again and we'll complete Acts chapter 10. But this morning, I want to kind of zero in on just one verse and kind of look at a, at a theme we're beginning to see unpacked and developed here in Acts. And so I want to start by kind of laying out a little bit of background information that will kind of help us to understand the, the cultural significance of what we're about to look at. We, um, a couple of weeks ago, talked a little bit about about Abram. Remember back in Genesis, there's just this guy. He's a, a pagan man. He's an idol worshiper living among other idol worshipers there in an Ur of the Chaldeans. And remember, the Lord calls Abram, and he gives him a new name, Abraham. And he gives him a new identity, a, a friend of God. And remember, Abraham would later become the father of the Jewish people, the father of the Hebrews, the father of the Israelites. And by the way, that's, that's one group, right? They just have three names. It's not three groups that he's the father of. And, and God makes Abraham a, prof, a, a, a promise that, that the Messiah, that the Savior would come from Abraham's family line. And that those people would be a unique people, a special people, a, a chosen people. They would be a people that are called to be separate from the world, a people that are called to be separate <coughs> from other cultures, a people that are called to be different and holy. And, and here's what happened. God gave these people this calling. They were his chosen people, right? They were chosen to be his witnesses. They were chosen to be his lights shining into the darkness. They were chosen to carry the knowledge of God to the rest of the world. Essentially, the Hebrew people were, were called to be, to be missionaries. Over time, though, the Hebrew people began to view their election, their, 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 their being chosen, as something different than God had initially intended. They began to believe that they were the chosen people and because of that, they were the only people that God loved. They came to believe that God loved the Hebrews more than anybody else. And eventually that idea progressed to the point where they believed that, that God didn't like anybody but the Hebrew people. And there was an old proverb that, that said that the Gentiles, their only purpose was to fuel the fires of hell. And that was sort of the basis of this systemic, systematic racism that, that began to be weaved in, 
into the, into the cultural fabric of, of Hebrew society. And, and it got so bad that over time, if a Jew were to leave Israel and he came home and he got to the border, he would shake his rubs and he would kick his sandals and he would knock all the dust off because he didn't want to bring any foreign soil home with him. Now imagine that. Imagine you drive up to Canada for the weekend. You spend the weekend in Vancouver, right? And, and as you're coming back across the border, you stop the car and hop out. And it is Canada. You know, it's, I can understand maybe. But imagine you shake all the dust of Canada because you don't want to defile U.S. soil with that Canadian dust. That's the attitude that the Hebrew people had. And as we get into this this morning, we're going to see a term come up, Gentiles. And Gentile is really a church word, isn't it? I mean, we all know what it means. But it's not really a word that we use very often outside of the church context, is it? Right? Gentile doesn't get used in daily conversation very often. You're never at the office and, hey, did you see what that Gentile did yesterday? You know, it's, that, you know, it's, it's just, it's very much a, a part of the church vocabulary. And the Hebrew word for that is goy. The Greek word is ethnos. That's where we get the English word ethnic or ethnicity. And what it means, especially in the Hebrew context, is any non-Hebrew people group. Any of you guys here Jewish this morning? Not this morning, are you Jewish, but who are here this morning, are you Jewish? To clarify that. No? So that makes all of us what? Gentiles, right? None of us have family roots in Israel. We're all Gentiles. And so when Scripture is talking about Gentiles, it's referring to us. We were the ones that were cut off from God. And just to be clear, as we're, as we're going to start discussing this, the law, as was given to Moses, allowed for Gentiles to be converted and to become a part of God's people. God always welcomed Gentiles into the Jewish community. The people, however, made it very difficult, and they did not encourage it. For the most part, the people of Israel weren't out actively trying to convert people to Judaism. In their minds, the Gentiles were unclean. If you touched a Gentile, you needed to change your clothes and bathe because you were ceremonially unclean. And this attitude grew worse and worse over time. And by the time we get to the New Testament, in the time of Jesus, the Jewish culture was almost hyper-racist. And they were very, very xenophobic. And they really didn't want anything to do with the outside world. And so, when we're talking about this sort of racism, it can mean a couple of different things. And so I think we should define the, define the term. For today's purposes, we're going to define racism as someone who believes that their people group are inherently better than another people group. It's when a person believes that by virtue of their ethnicity or nationality, they are
superior to other people groups. I am um, Irish and Mexican and a little bit of Hawaiian. And clearly, that's the master race. I mean, have you seen me? I mean, <laughs> but that, so that's sort of the definition of racism. And there's another word that's sometimes used synonymously with racism. And we use the word prejudice. And, and, and really, prejudice is something different. Right? You can be prejudiced against somebody without being racist. You can be prejudiced against rich people. You can be prejudiced against poor people. You can be prejudiced against skinny people or fat people or tall people or short people. You can be prejudiced against left-handed people or people with big feet or whatever. <clears throat> right? so they're, they're separate things. The dictionary defines prejudice as an unfavorable opinion or feeling formed beforehand or without knowledge, thought, or reason. <clears throat> so racism is a form of prejudice, but not all prejudices are racially based. Does that make sense? So this, this Jewish racism, this Hebrew elitism, it was not biblical. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew people were commanded to be kind towards foreigners. It says in Leviticus 19.33, When a stranger sojourns in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. The Lord says in Exodus 19.6, and he's speaking to Moses here. And he says, I want you to tell the people that you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And a priest basically is someone who is an intermediary, right? A, a, a go-between between God and man. And so the Lord says the nation Israel is supposed to be that go-between between the world and the Lord. In essence, again, we see that the Israel was supposed to be a nation of missionaries. And that's really what the whole book of Jonah was about, wasn't it? Jonah was supposed to go out and evangelize the Gentiles. Jonah was sent by God to Nineveh there in Assyria to, to preach <clears throat> to preach repentance, to be a missionary among these Gentile people. He was sent to Nineveh to, to proclaim a message of repentance and hope and to make peace with the people who were who at war with God. The Jews had these, had these racial prejudices towards non-Jews, towards Gentiles. They didn't want to do business with them. They didn't want to eat with them. They didn't want to interact with them. They, they wanted to maintain a safe distance, right? It was the original social distancing, right? They, they, they didn't want to interact. They wanted to maintain their six feet. Remember in the Gospels, John chapter 4, Jesus is, is sitting there in Samaria with, with, the, with the woman who had been kind of an outcast from her society. And they're chatting, and Jesus is talking to her about the living water. 
And remember, the disciples come back from their shopping trip. And they find Jesus. And and they're shocked. They're shocked that Jesus is speaking to this, this Sumerian woman, this unclean Gentile woman in public. And at another point in Matthew 15, Jesus has this encounter with a Gentile woman. And it says this in verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Jesus answered her, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Now, as we just read through that text, on the surface, Jesus doesn't sound very nice there, does he? Jesus on the surface sounds sort of like the rest of the Jews, doesn't he? This Gentile woman, this Canaanite woman, begs for Jesus to heal her daughter. And he says, sorry lady, I was sent to the Jews. She says, please Lord. And Jesus says, should I take children's food and give it to the dogs? And the disciples here are begging Jesus to send this woman away. And you read that on the surface and you say, wow, did did Jesus buy into this systematic racism as well? Did Jesus harbor these same prejudices that the disciples had, that the rest of the Jews had? Have you ever texted somebody or emailed somebody and whatever you wrote was totally misinterpreted? Maybe you say something jokingly, maybe you're kind of being sarcastic or playful or whatever, and somebody totally takes it the wrong way. It's hard to communicate that way sometimes, isn't it? Because you don't have body language. You know, a little emoji doesn't just, it doesn't cut it. It's not the same as seeing somebody's facial expression when they're saying something or what their attitude is. And I think that that's what's happening here. I I think when we just read the words that are written, we we miss a lot of the dynamic that's taking place here. I I, I think that there was a a warmth and and a playfulness in Jesus' conversation that we miss. I I think that he's kind of teasing this lady a little bit. You know, she comes and she says, Lord, have mercy on my daughter. You know, I'd like to, but, you know, I was only sent to the Jews. And he kind of chuckles a little bit. You know, it wouldn't be right taking the kids' food and giving it to the dogs. And the disciples here, they're probably, yeah, that's right, Jesus. Send her away. You deal with her. And the lady says, and I think she's probably catching on to Jesus' tone here a little bit. Well, even the dogs get table scraps, Jesus. And Jesus says, woman, you have great faith. Your daughter is healed. 
And this whole thing here, I think that Jesus set it up for the disciples. I think this thing took place so that Jesus could expose the attitudes of the disciples towards the Gentiles. Right? They're all gathered around this table together. And she comes and, yeah, Lord, send her away. Tell her that you're sitting here to us, to the Jews, to the Hebrews, not to the Gentiles. And Jesus, he turns the tables on them, doesn't he? He exposes what's going on in their hearts. And we see Jesus do this a number of times, breaking the, the cultural norms, ministering to the Gentiles. We saw in Luke chapter 7 when he ministers to the Roman centurion. Remember he says to him, never have I seen such faith in all of Israel. Jesus is talking in John chapter 10 verse 16. And he says, I have sheep from other folds. Jesus says, I have sheep living in a different sheep pen. I have sheep on a different farm. He says, I have, I have followers that aren't Jewish. And Jesus' attitude towards the Gentiles was not the norm. It was most definitely an exception to the rule. Most of the Jews looked down on Gentiles with, with disdain, with disgust. Right? They, they, they viewed Gentiles as unclean, as morally and racially inferior. And even the, the disciples were initially affected by this. Right? When, when the Lord first starts moving among the Gentiles, they were very skeptical. And they sent people to investigate. And it doesn't seem like they were very thrilled with the idea of, of the Holy Spirit beginning to be poured out on, on Gentiles. And so what I want to do this morning, that was a very long intro, I guess, um, <clears throat> is I want to look at a statement that Peter makes here in Acts chapter 10. And Lord willing, next week we'll go back and we'll We'll look what led up to this statement, why he said it, and we'll finish the chapter. But this morning, I just want to look at verse 28. And, and before we look at verse 28, I want to ask this question. Is the gospel sufficient to deal with the racial issues that we see today? Is the Bible sufficient to bring about racial reconciliation? Remember last week we saw Peter, as we close, set off for Caesarea. Remember he was with the three servants of, of Cornelius. <coughs> and now he's getting ready to enter the home of Cornelius, this, this Gentile, this Italian centurion. And, and really what's happening is Peter's getting ready to, to crack open the door for ministry to the Gentile people. And he says this in verse 28. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Peter says, look, it's against the Jewish law for me to be going into your house to share a meal. And to be clear, that's not talking about the Bible, talking about the Mishnah. The Mishnah was a sort of a, a book of, of rules 
that the Jews had to keep if they wanted to maintain their, maintain their, their Jewish status, if they wanted to be good Jews. And so Peter says, look, I am getting ready to break our cultural customs here. I'm getting ready to go into the home of a Gentile. I'm getting ready to share a meal with a Gentile. That's unheard of, right? It's taboo. It was was breaking the cultural norms. He says, but God has shown me. And can I just say, I, I love that expression. I love that phrase and and, and all that it implies, all that goes along with it. He says, but God has shown me. Listen, we we live in a world that inherently harbors racism in many different forms. And it's very easy for us to sit back and to point fingers at those ancient Jews for being racist, for being prejudiced against the Gentiles. But racism is pervasive. It's so ingrained in the hearts of so many people. It's such a a pernicious thing. In our country, in our culture, in our society, it's mostly viewed as a white versus black thing. And we all are familiar with the events from this summer with George Floyd and, and BLM and all of the stuff going along with that. But, but, but racism manifests itself in many different ways. There are racist white people. There are racist black people. There are racist Asians. There are racist Hispanics, right? This issue, it isn't unique to our culture and our time and our country. It manifests itself across the globe throughout history. And look at all the the ethnic cleansing that's happened throughout history. And and we saw in our own country, Native Americans were were oppressed by the settlers, and and we developed that doctrine of manifest destiny. And manifest destiny basically said that that white people are going to take over the world, so it doesn't matter how we treat other races. We saw African tribes oppressing other African tribes and selling them into slavery. The Japanese oppressing the Chinese. The Chinese oppressing the, the Tibetans and the, and the um, their name escapes me now, the, the Weicker people up north and, and all this. We saw the, the, the Germans oppressing the Jews. We, you, you've seen Hotel Rwanda, the the, the Hutus and the Tutsis and the, and the ethnic cleansing there. And, and so many of these times, it's not even necessarily about color. It's about identity and culture and economics. You saw in the 18th and 19th centuries, Europeans were, were oppressing indigenous peoples all over the world. And in Europe, they had what, what they called human zoos. And, and basically... You know how when you're about nine and you go catch lizards and you keep them in a little terrarium, you know, and make a little display so you can watch their behavior? That's what they would do. They would go get people from the Philippines and Africa and and the Indian subcontinent, South America, and they would build little little terrariums for them, right? And people would come by and look at them in in their natural habitats like they were some sort of a wild animal. And this has been going on forever, everywhere. 
one people group oppressing another. And sadly, the church, and I use that term loosely in this context, the church historically has not been innocent in this matter. You know, there was a period when, when many white Christians would, would propagate the idea and teach that, that black people didn't have souls. And because of that, it was okay to oppress them. It's okay to enslave them. It's okay to beat and abuse them. Because they're just animals anyway. Right? Justifying slavery and oppression and atrocity. And human history is, is full of atrocity. Human history is full of horrible, unspeakable things. And unspeakable attitudes and actions. And so much ignorance and prejudice and hate. And some people are very overt in it. But a lot of people, they don't even realize that it's a part of who they are. And they're blind to it. And a lot of times, we as believers, we say we believe one thing, but we live and act differently. Peter here is called to minister to some Gentiles. And at first, he resists. He says, they're unclean, Lord. I'm a Jew. I can't do that. But look, the Lord works in Peter's heart. The Lord changes Peter's heart. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. God has shown me that I should no longer look down on anyone because of their race or their skin color or their, or their cultural background or whatever. God has shown me that, that I am not morally superior because I'm a Jew, Peter says. Later on, Paul had to deal with these same issues. Remember, Paul was a Jew, a Pharisee. One, and one of, the, one of the leaders, one of the propagators, one of the perpetrators of this, of, of this racist ideology. And then the Lord saved him, and the Lord called him to ministry among the Gentile people of the world. And that's funny, isn't it? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at, at, at Paul's conversion. Right? This is like a former Ku Klux Klan leader getting saved, and then the Lord sending him to be a missionary in Africa. Or a Nazi SS officer coming to Christ and getting sent to Israel to be a missionary. Right? The Lord has a, a sense of irony a little bit here, a little bit of a sense of humor. But the Lord, he changes Paul's heart, and he gave him a love for the people that he formerly despised. And look what Paul goes on to write. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the message of Christ. It's the power of God for all who believe. He says, for the Jew first and also the Gentile. And he's not saying that the Jews had better access. He's simply speaking of the of the chronology of it. He's talking about 
in chronological order, Jesus came to the Jews first, and then the gospel message was presented to the Gentiles. But as Paul is saying this, this is, it's groundbreaking, it's, it's revolutionary. Putting Jews and Gentiles on, on equal footing before the Lord, that was a radical idea. That was a deeply offensive idea. That would be like 200 years ago if you're in, in Mississippi and you're, you tell a slave owner, guess what, that guy that you have over there in chains, he's your equal. He's your equal morally and intellectually and spiritually. To, 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 to that mindset, that was unthinkable. Because in that mindset, slaves were like cattle. I, I, a cow isn't my equal. A dog isn't my equal. A slave isn't my equal. And that's how people justify racism and, and, and genocide and atrocities. We, we learn to see other people as as different from us. And because they're different, they're inferior. They're, 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 they're subhuman. They're below us. They're, they're beneath us. And it's not hard to, to oppress somebody who is subhuman. Right? You deal with them like you would any other animal. How do you think the Nazi party got the Germans to go along with murdering six million Jews? It starts by dehumanizing them, making them seem less than human. And, and it happens the same way all the time. That's why slavery has been able to flourish throughout history across the world like it has. And Paul here, putting the Gentiles on equal footing with the Jews, that would have been deeply offensive to the Jews. I think that's partly why they hated him so much. Partly why they wanted to kill him so bad. Paul would write later to the Galatian church, Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slaves nor free. There is no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. To the Colossian church he wrote concerning salvation. Colossians 3.11 Here, in the church, there is not Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free. But Christ is all and in all. He's saying that we all stand on equal footing at the cross. There is no room for racism within the body of Christ. There is no allowance for, for this idea of, of racial superiority among the people of God. And really, the idea of, of, of racism is utterly foolish anyway, right? There, there, there aren't different races. The idea of, of different races is a, is a societal construct. Genetically speaking, there isn't a white race and a black race. There isn't an Asian race. There isn't an Indian race, right? There's the human race, and that's all there is. And there are different ethnicities, there are different people groups, but we all came from the exact same place. We all have the exact same genetic background. And so hear me when I say this, church. The idea that one people group is inherently better than another people group is absolutely demonic. 
and inspired in the pit of hell. Racism is the antithesis, the exact opposite of the gospel message. For God so loved the world, every single people group, every ethnos. Not God so loved the Jews. Not God so loved the white Europeans. Not God so loved the sub-Saharan Africans. God so loved the world. Paul writes in Romans 10, 11, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Genesis 1. God creates man. And we, all of us, the entire human race, is created in the image of God. Each one of us are our image bearers of the Almighty. Every one of us, we're beloved. We're lost sinners for whom Christ died. And so you and I, as believers, as the church, what should our position be? What should our response be to, to the racism and the racial inequity that we see around us? How, how should we react when we see somebody being mistreated or maligned? What should we do when we hear somebody speaking negatively, saying negative comments about somebody who's Asian or Hispanic or white or black or whatever, or, or even for that matter, exhibiting prejudice against the rich or the poor or whoever, anyone who's, anyone who's different than us. Martin Luther King said this, the ultimate tragedy is not the oppression and cruelty by the bad people, but the silence over that by the good people. The, the idea is this. Even worse than ignorant people mistreating others is good people standing by in silence and allowing that to happen. As believers, as Christians, we know that everyone is equal before God. We understand that, that a certain ethnicity doesn't make us better than anyone else. And we need to proclaim that truth. We need to let our voices ring out to defend the oppressed, to speak up for those who can't. And we need to ask the Lord, I think, sometimes to, to reveal our own hearts, to see if somewhere in there that we're not harboring these prejudices towards other people. And as we continue in the book of Acts, we're going to see the Lord continue to break down these these cultural and ethnic barriers. And we're going to see the Lord beginning to change hearts. Now, I, I didn't grow up in the South in the 50s or 60s. I didn't grow up anywhere in the 50s or 60s. I, uh, I wasn't exposed in my life to that kind of overt racial prejudice. I grew up mostly here in Southern California, generally 
on the surface, fairly inclusive areas. And, and so to me, growing up, race wasn't really an issue. I had white friends. I had black friends. I had Hispanic friends. It was just, it wasn't something that, that I thought about much. But this area it has become more important to me personally as, as I've grown and as the Lord has blessed me with the family that he has. You know, I'm a dad and I have five kids. And of my five kids, two of them are white, two of them are black, one of them is half black and half East Indian. And it would break my heart to see them discriminated against because of the color of their skin. When, when we lived in Belize, it was predominantly a black culture. And within that black culture, there were two Two black ethnic groups, the Creole people and the Garifuna people. And historically, the, the Garifuna people, they were oppressed and, and discriminated against by the Creole people. They had a, um, a derogatory nickname for the Garifuna. They would call them 36. And, and they called them 36. That, I think that's the Hell's Angels driving by or something. <laughs> oh, that is loud. So they would, they would call them 36 because the Garifuna didn't live in Belize City. They lived out in villages. And they were only allowed to come into Belize City for 36 hours at a time. And if they extended thir over 36 hours, they would get in trouble. It's similar to what we had in the South in times past. You may have heard of, of sunset towns or, or sundown towns. And what those were was the sun was not allowed to set on the head of a person who wasn't white within city limits. Right? In other words, if you weren't white, you had better be out of town before nightfall. And, you know, as we talk about some of this stuff, I know it makes some of us uncomfortable. And, and, and frankly, that's good. We need to be a little bit uncomfortable sometimes. Sometimes we need to be stirred up. Sometimes we need to become discontent with the status quo, don't we? But anyway, one of my boys was full-blooded Garifuna. And there was a very definite prejudice against, not him personally, because, I mean, he, he grew up with us, you know, but, but against, against his people group and against particularly the people from his town. There was a very distinct prejudice. And that upset me, thinking that my son would grow up in that environment, that, that, that people would automatically hold negative thoughts against him just because of where he was from, where his parents were born. It upsets me thinking that, that, that some of my kids will, will face the same kind of thing here in the U.S. today in 2020. And it should remind each one of us that we have a responsibility, that the church has a responsibility to love and to defend and to break down barriers, to educate people concerning the love of Christ. We have a responsibility to reflect the love of Christ to this lost and dying world. We have a responsibility to shine a light into the darkness. We have a responsibility to defend the oppressed and the helpless and the powerless and the marginalized. 
we need to adopt the heart of Peter when he says, but God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. We are all equally lost without Christ. And the free gift of salvation is equally available to everyone. Again, Martin Luther King said this, I refuse to accept the view that mankind is so tragically bound to the starless midnight of racism and war that the bright daybreak of peace and brotherhood can never become a reality. I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word. Listen, church. Through the truth of the gospel message, through the unconditional love of Christ, we can change the world. We can see lost souls saved. We can see lives changed. But it has to start with them. It has to start with us. And we can be lights shining into the darkness. Let me close with this thought. The gospel message has the power. Like Only the gospel message has the power to truly overcome racism. You're familiar with the expression, blood is thicker than water, right? That expression, it's a medieval proverb, and it means that, that, that familial bonds will always be stronger than the bonds of, of friendship and love. And the idea that, that family relationships are stronger than, than community relationships. And, and to a degree, that's true. But let me say this. The blood of Christ is even thicker, isn't it? There's nothing stronger than the bond of fellowship that we share in Christ. And if you've ever traveled to a foreign country and, and visited a church service, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. You know, I remember sitting in, in church services in, in Russia or in Mexico or Haiti or Peru or, or wherever else. And sitting in a church and, and not understanding the language. And not understanding what's being taught. Not understanding the worship songs. But there's a deep connection. A deep sense of fellowship. Because of what we share in common. What we share that, that transcends culture and race and language. That, that deep bond of Christian fellowship. And, and listen, we talk about things like the need for, for racial reconciliation. And I want to be clear on this. We already have it. We already have racial reconciliation through the gospel message. We already have that through the blood of Christ. We just need to walk in it. We just need to embrace it. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now Christ Jesus, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off, 
have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And then he goes on in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is what Paul tells the church there in Ephesus. Through Christ, not only have we been reconciled to the Father, but we've been reconciled to each other. We've been reconciled to one another. He has made the Jews and the Gentiles one. He says he has broken down that dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. Through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, through the shedding of his blood, all the people groups have been united as one. Each one of us, when we come to Christ, we're members of one family. We're members of the household of God. And that, friends, is the only hope for true racial reconciliation. That's the only hope for true peace in our time is the gospel message. It's the blood of Christ. It's people turning to Jesus and repenting of their sin. And we, as the church, need to remember that. And we need to be the mouthpieces of God, ever proclaiming the gospel message. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your, for your goodness, Lord, and your grace that you've chosen any of us, Lord. And we thank you. We're thankful for just the, the peace and the love and the harmony that you want to lavish on us. And we pray that you would help each one of us to walk in that. We ask that in your name, Jesus.